Hey, we're in a, a series. This is our Easter series leading up to Easter, and in, we're in our second week of this series called Victory in Jesus, and, and we're really painting the picture of all the ways that by Jesus going to the cross and his resurrection gave us the victory. And so um, it is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and this set the stage for the week that was to come. He would spend the week in Jerusalem. It would be his la- the last week of his life on earth. On Friday, he would go to the cross. And so Palm Sunday set the stage. And notice what they cheered about Jesus when he came into Jerusalem, Matthew 21. A very large crowd gathered and spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees. So that line, cutting branches from the trees, it was palm trees. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And they spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him... And those that follow shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Which is appropriate because as he's riding into Jerusalem, they're cheering shouts of victory. They saw Jesus riding into Jerusalem as their Messiah. He was going to sit on David's throne He was going to establish the kingdom of God in a very, they thought, very political, military way. He was going to overthrow Rome, their oppressors, and he would have the victory. And so as he's riding into Jerusalem, they're shouting cheers of victory. They didn't know that he was headed to the cross. They didn't know that his victory would be over something much bigger than just Rome. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Ryan mentioned this last week. We have the victory in Christ. But what exactly is it that we're victorious over? Last week, Ryan did a beautiful job. If you did not hear this message, this is one of those like foundational messages that you have to hear. So go back and listen on the sermon page of our website. Find this sermon. It's on Victory over guilt, shame, and condemnation is absolutely essential that we get this. And Ryan did a beautiful job last week of painting this picture of this spiral that we can get in of guilt and shame and condemnation and how Jesus set us free so that we don't have to live in that any longer. And this morning, I want to take the next step and talk about the the next thing that Jesus gave us the victory over, and that is the victory over sin. See, he did more than free us from guilt, shame, and condemnation only to leave us in a life of perpetual sin. And sometimes the church preaches a message that sounds a lot like that. It says, you know, essentially, hey, you don't have to be ashamed of your guilt. You've been, you're saved by grace. You don't, you, know, you don't have to live in condemnation, right? And all of that's true. But then they kind of, even non-verbally sometimes, give this message of, oh, but you're going to continue to be a sinner, You're going to continue to be stuck in your sin. You might as well expect it. You're just a miserable sinner that's just always going to be sinning, and you're going to be in your muck and mire, but but you don't have to feel guilt and shame about it. And unfortunately, that has become kind of this strange gospel that's being preached. It's not the real gospel of Jesus Christ, because when Jesus went to the cross, he freed us from sin. Yes, he freed us from the guilt and shame and condemnation when we sin, but he also freed us from sin itself. And this is the layers that it happens in our life. I want to give you two layers where this truth really sinks in. He made us, 
He made holiness and righteousness our identity. That's the first layer, the deepest parts of us. He made holiness and righteousness our very identity at the core of who we are. And beyond that, that identity works its way out. Then he made holiness and righteousness possible in our actions. Because of Jesus, because of grace, it's actually possible now to live in holiness and righteousness. That doesn't mean we won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean we're going to be, you know, perfect. But it does mean we can walk in holiness and righteousness. That the the identity that he's given us will begin to work its way out from the inside. So victory over sin. Let's talk first about what this means in our identity. Do you know that the Apostle Paul had a similar conversation as what we're having this morning? He had this conversation with the church in Rome. And he wrote about it in chapter 6 of his, book to the, his letter to the Romans. Romans 6, 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He had just talked about how they're free from the law. They're free from the law. And so then he asked the question, does that mean you're just going to keep sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning? Is that what that means? And his answer is, by no means. Now, I don't want to get into the Greek because it's kind of an expletive. It's, hmm, no. That's what he's saying in the Greek. I could parse it out for you if you want. Our, our English translations are like, by no means. Shall we go on sinning? He says, hmm, No. Don't go on sinning. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism. Like we joined him in that burial. We were therefore baptized into Christ Jesus. We were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Listen, if you've given your life to Jesus, you've been given a new life. He goes on in verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Let me paint this picture a little bit for you. We had our former life, our old life. When we gave our life to Jesus, that old life got pinned to the cross with Jesus. Here's another way of saying it. It says that the body ruled by sin. Your old life was ruled by sin. Sin was the king. It was ruled by sin. Sin was the slave master. It was ruled by sin. That was your old life. When you gave your life to Jesus, what happened is that old life, that old body that was ruled by sin got pinned to the cross with Jesus, and it got buried in the tomb with Jesus. It is now a dead, rotting carcass. It's a corpse. Maggots. It's smelly. It's dead. It's rotting. At best, if it decides to try to get out of that grave, it's a zombie you got to hit zombies between the eyes, I think. But either way, to put it back in that grave, it's not alive. It's not alive. It is dead. You've been set free. Sin is no longer your master. You are no longer enslaved to it. You've been given a new self that came out of that tomb. It's brand new. It's different. It's not ruled by sin. Your body now is not ruled by sin because you're a new creation. You've been given a new life. 
Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. That's what this is trying to say. The truest thing I can say about you this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that you are a new creation. Not that you're a sinner. Not that you just keep messing up. That's not the truest thing about you. The truest thing about you says the word of God, says God himself, says Jesus Christ. The truest thing about you is you are new creation. You know what he says when he looks at you? He says, new creation. Brand new. You are a new creation. So let's kind of just review right here. Our old self was crucified with Christ. Our old self was buried with Christ. Our new self was raised with Christ. We've died to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to obey sin. Sin used to be on the throne. It used to rule us. It used to be king. We used to have to obey it. But as followers of Jesus, it doesn't sit on the throne anymore. It's in the grave. We don't have to obey it anymore. It's a false king. We've been set free from sin. We are new creations in Christ. I want everyone to say this. Say, I am a new creation. I died with Christ. I was crucified with Christ. My old self is buried with Christ. My new self was raised with Christ. I am a new creation. Listen, I give you permission in the morning to look in the mirror and say that. And I don't care what you did the night before. You know what God says about you every morning you wake up? New creation. Every morning. You can look in the mirror and say, my old self is dead. My new self is alive in Christ. Now, this bleeds out into our actions. Paul goes on with this conversation in Romans 6, 11. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So when you look in the mirror, how should you consider yourself? How should you count yourself? Should you look in the mirror and go, sinner? Is that what that says? Look in the mirror and go, man, you're a failure. You're never going to get it right. You're always going to sin. You're always going to mess up. Isn't that the voice we hear? I'm telling you, that's not the voice of Jesus. That's the voice of the enemy. Because you know what Jesus says? You look in the mirror, and he says, here's how I want you to consider yourself. Dead to sin. If you're going to think about yourself, think about yourself this way. I am dead to sin. That old, rotting carcass is in the grave, and it's dead. And I'm a new creation. I've been made alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, how does this affect our actions? He says, therefore, do not let sin reign. Again, there's that king language. Don't let sin sit on the throne of your life. Don't let it reign. Why? Because it's dead in the grave. Don't let a dead, rotting carcass zombie on the throne of your life. They're not good rulers. Jesus is king. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. See, what we, what we do to kings is we obey them. And if we put sin as the king, as the ruler, as the one reigning in our life, eventually we'll start obeying what it tells us to do, which is obeying the evil desires that sin has for us. It says, don't do that. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. What do we do to kings? We pay homage to them. We give them offerings. He's painting this picture of this dead, rotting carcass zombie sitting on the throne, smelling it up, bleeding all over it because it's dead and shouldn't be up there in the first place. And we walk over and we offer it things. What are we giving as an offering? Here's my hand. Here's my eyes. 
We're giving parts of ourselves. Here's my heart. Here's my desires. Here's my thinking, my thought life. Paul's saying, don't do that. That that dead rotting carcass is not your king anymore. You're a new creation. Jesus is your king. Don't offer it things. Don't give it an offering, not one part of yourself. Here's why. He says, rather offer yourselves to God because God is the true king. Offer all of yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. He's like, remember, you're not that dead rotting carcass anymore. Sin should not be reigning. Sin shouldn't be on the throne. You are a new creation. Remember, you were, you were once dead in sin, but that's not you anymore. That's not who you are anymore. You're a new creation. Jesus sits on the throne. Now give him offerings. What's our offering? Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. God, I come to you and, and I've messed up, but here's the deal. I give you my eyes. I want to see what you see. God, I give you my mind. I want to think the way you think. God, I give you my heart, my desires. I want to feel what you feel. I want, to, my, I want my heart to burn like yours burns for people. I give you my hands. How, how do you want me to serve? I give you my feet. Where do you want me to go? I give you my voice. What do you want me to say? Every part of me, God, my mind, my soul, my body, my spirit, every, every part of me I offer to you, God. You're the king. I give it to you as an offering. That's what this is saying. As an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Here's what I want to give you permission this morning. You don't have to obey sin. There's a voice lying to you that says you're going to have to give in. You're going to have to give in. It's a lie. It's a lie. You're no longer enslaved to sin. Think about the metaphor of slavery, guys. Think about like in the Civil War, if someone came and purchased someone out of slavery and said, I set you free now. That guy over there that used to beat and torment you, he's no longer your master. You're free. Listen, it doesn't matter what he says anymore. It doesn't matter what he says that you are. It doesn't matter how he accuses you. It doesn't matter what he tells you to do. I purchased your freedom with my life on the cross. You don't have to listen anymore. You're free. So stop calling yourself just a sinner. So I'm giving you permission from things. Let me take permission away. From now on, I rebuke your right to call yourself just a sinner. If we sit down for coffee and you call yourself just a sinner, I'm going to smack you in the face. (laughs) Just forewarning you. You heard it here first. Because it's a lie. You are not just a sinner. Stop calling yourself just a sinner. You know what Paul didn't do? He didn't start his letters to the sinners in Corinth. I mean, he should have. Have you read 1 Corinthians? To the sinners in Rome, to the, to the sinners in Galatia, you know how he started it? Every one of those letters, to the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Towson. You know what saints means in the Greek? Holy ones. So if we sit down for coffee and you want to call yourself a holy one, I'll give you a high five. And I don't care what you did. Because what you did is not the truest thing about you. What God says about you is the truest thing about you. And he says you're a holy one. 
Your sin doesn't have that much power. Stop giving it so much power. You are a holy one of God. Ephesians, I love this picture. Ephesians 4, 22 says you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Remember, this is the old self. This is your former way before you gave your life to Jesus to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is amazing. He says, look, your new master, your new king Jesus, your old master, your old king forced you and didn't give you any options. You didn't have any options. You were going to sin. You have a new king. You have a new master. You know what he's given you? Freedom. You know what freedom means? He's going to call you a new creation, and then he has the audacity to give you the freedom every morning to put on the old self or the new self. Are you kidding me? Like, he should have forced me to put on the new self because that's who I am in Christ. He's so loving that he says, I'm not going to rule you by the law. I'm not going to rule you by sin like your old master did. I'm going to rule you by grace. That's going to be the law of the land. It's grace. And here's freedom. Freedom is I wake up every morning. And over here on my left is a dead, rotting carcass zombie. And I could choose to put that thing on again. But that's not me. It doesn't even fit anymore. We have to buy our boys clothes like every three months. I'm like, what are you doing? Stop eating, please. Things don't fit anymore. Guys, that's your old self. It doesn't even fit anymore. Not, not to mention that it's maggot-filled and it stinks. You don't have to put it on anymore. There's this beautiful thing over here called a new self. It's this gleaming white robe, and it's, it's ironed and washed and smells fresh every morning. New mercies every morning. It's just waiting for you every morning that you get up, and you get to put that thing on every morning. What it means is being made new in the attitude of your minds, what it means is, okay, I've got this dead rotting carcass here. I have this new self here I can put on. Okay, how, what is my attitude going to be today? Am I going to complain and criticize and be, and, be, and be gossipy and be angry and be in a mood all day? Am I just going to be pissed off at the world? Am I just going to hate life and not forgive people? I could choose to put on the old self, or I could go over here and say, you know what? I'm filled with life. I'm a new creation. Like, I've got hope, even in the impossible things. I've got faith, God, because you're faithful. God, I'm going to love people today. I'm not going to be just just mad at the world. God, I've forgiven those people. I'm washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. I'm going to give you my life, every part, including my mind. I'm going to give it to you as an offering, God, every day, right? Every day I can wake up in the morning, brush my teeth and say, new creation. Good to see you this morning. That's who I really am. And I'm going to act like it today. Your new self, this is mind-boggling. Guys, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is why it's called good news. This is it. Your new self was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This new self that's hanging, waiting for you every morning, it was actually created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Do you know what that means? It means when I was putting this dead carcass on, I was bent towards sin. If I had a 50-50 option, I'm going with sin. I'm pulled towards sin. I lean towards sin. But you know what this new creation means? I'm bent towards righteousness. I'm, I lean into holiness. Given a 50-50 shot, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm actually, listen, listen, because the church has gotten this wrong. I'm actually in Christ. I'm inclined toward righteousness. 
Like, I'm bent in that direction now. I used to be bent towards sin. I'm not bent towards sin anymore. I'm bent towards righteousness now because this new thing that I put on every morning, it says in God's word, it was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, which means I'm not striving and flexing my muscle to try to do the right thing anymore. I was over here because given a 50-50 shot, I'm choosing sin. But in Christ, I'm not striving and flexing and, oh, I got to do the right thing. Here's the deal. I can actually sit back and rest because this new self that I put on is bent towards righteousness. This is why Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How could he possibly say that? It's so hard to follow Jesus. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, it's so hard to follow me. He said, take my yoke upon you. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I'm going to hang it up every morning. Why don't you put that thing on? Because it's light and it's easy and you'll find rest for your souls. You will find yourself doing the right thing by accident. Not by striving. Like, you won't have to fight to do it. It'll just be the most natural thing in the world to forgive, to love, to show grace. Living free from sin means living out who you really are. It's just being who you are. It doesn't mean flexing all your spiritual muscles. It just means be who you are. Who are you? You're a new creation in Christ. Just be who you are. Be the real you, not the false you, not the dead rotting carcass you. Just be the real you in Christ. That's what holy living is. You guys remember in science class you learned about molting? This is what this verse reminds me of. Molting means to shed an old shell. It could be feathers, hair, or skin, but to make way for new growth. There's this, this bug. I'm sorry, I'm not calling you bugs, but it's like a cicada or something. It just molted. I want you to notice some things about this. This new self, full of color. Bland, brown, crusty, dead. It just molted its old self, molted its old skin shallow, hollow, crunch that thing, nothing on the inside. But I also want you to notice this. This thing can't fly, this thing can. This thing, new cell, full of color. This thing, one color. And the shell is small compared to the new cell. When we go back to our old self and we try to put that thing on, have you ever experienced this? I have. I go to lift up my old self and it stinks, but I'm, you know, for, for the moment I'm okay with that, right? Because... I'm giving in to sin, and I start putting this old self on, and I walk around, I'm like, this, this doesn't even feel like me. Have you ever had that feeling? I, this, this isn't me, you know, you have, and it's true. You know why you have that feeling? Because it's true. That's not you anymore. That's not you. It doesn't even fit you anymore. That old, dead, rotting carcass does not fit you anymore. It's not who you really are in Christ. It's not who God says that you are in Christ. I actually, in order to sin... When we are Christians, we actually have to step out of ourselves and go over and be somebody we're not. Like, we, we actually have to, in order to sin, we have to actually lean away from where we're bent because we're bent towards righteousness. We actually have to force our way back this way, step out of our new self, and come put this dead carcass on. It's a lot of work to sin. The enemy is going to say this, oh, easiest thing in the world, just give in, just give in, just give in. It's not true. 
You're a new creation. The easiest thing in the world is to live holiness, to live righteous. You have to put effort in over here. That's the truth of the gospel. And I think salvation means being instantly transformed from someone who couldn't molt into someone who can. See, before Christ, we couldn't molt. We didn't have a choice. We're going to keep giving into sin over and over and over again. But when we give our life to Jesus, we now can put off the old self. We have the freedom to decide to put on the new self every morning and put off the old self. We, we are now an insect that molts. Praise Jesus. Because we weren't before. We were just stuck before. So how do we continually put on our new self? I think this is a great verse for that. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify, which just means purify and make holy, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. So you are a whole self, but when the verse says, offer the parts of yourself to God as instruments of righteousness, there are parts to you. Even though you're a whole self, there are parts to you. Here's the parts to you, spirit, soul, and body. This is what it looks like. You are a three-part Venn diagram, all overlapping parts. You are body, soul, and spirit. And inside your soul is another trinity. You were creating the image of God, after all, of mind, will, and emotions. That's your soul, your thought life, your decisions, your heart. And you are right there, all those parts overlapping. But here's what happened when you gave your life to Jesus. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit marries our spirit. The two become one. Here's what 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So you know how two people who are married are two different people, but when they get married, Bible says two become one? Like they don't lose their identity. There's two two separate things, but there's this unity that happens, this two becoming one that happens. That's what happened between your spirit and the Holy Spirit when you gave your life to Jesus. Your spirit is not the Holy Spirit. They're two separate things. But when you gave your life to Jesus, the Spirit married the Holy Spirit. The two became one. You were united with the Lord in spirit. And Ephesians 5 actually talks about it. It says the two become one, but I'm not talking about husband and wife. He goes, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. Now, what happens from here? The Holy Spirit begins reclaiming all that has been redeemed. All of you has been redeemed. Your soul, every part of your soul, every part of your body has been redeemed, but it's not all been reclaimed. What do I mean by that? I mean, God gave the people the promised land. He said, the whole promised land is yours. Then he said, go get it. And in the Old Testament, they had to take back the land that God gave them. God redeemed all of you. You got to go reclaim what has been redeemed. Each part of you surrendered to the Lord. See, there are parts of us that have set up a little mini rebellion against the Lord. Right? It's like the rest of the land, the rest of us is good, but this little part is in rebellion because it hasn't recognized Jesus as king. In the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel had to come in and, and then fight and conquer that people. In the New Testament, what happens is the Holy Spirit has to come in and transform that area of our life so that it surrenders to King Jesus. You guys with me on this? This is how we have victory over sin in our life. 
It's, called, it's a process called sanctification. We become more and more like Jesus as time goes on. When you're 95 years old, you should be more like Jesus then than you are now. The Holy Spirit should be taking ground in your mind, in your will, in your emotions, in your body. It's like a home purchase with needed home renovations. Some of this happens instantly upon salvation. We give our life to Jesus, and it's like we bought a house, and the kitchen is remodeled, and the bathrooms are remodeled. Awesome. But then you walk in, you're like, man, the bedroom needs some work, and the basement is totally unfinished. And now those parts, we have to surrender to the Lord for him to come in and renovate that part of our life, little by little. So why can't I get free from this sin? Some of you are thinking, Mark, that's great. I love what you're saying, but there's this one area of my life that seems like it's on lockdown. Like the other areas of my life I'm growing in, but this one area, it feels like if, if we're a house, it feels like that room, that door is locked and the Holy Spirit's not allowed in there. Maybe it's many parts of your life. What prevents transformation? Let's start with this. A lot of times how this area of the sin or getting stuck, you know, we can't seem to surrender it to the Lord. It started with a wound in your life. It started with someone back when you were a kid. You felt rejection. You felt hurt. You felt something from your parents. Your dad left. It communicated some message to you about your worth. And you got wounded and you got hurt. And this wound is still festering. Now here's, sometimes we seek real healing from those wounds, but sometimes we don't, and when we don't, here's what happens. Lies begin to fill in the gap of that wound. We begin to believe lies about ourselves. Man, I must not be very worthy if they would do that to me. I must be very rejectable if they're rejecting me. And we begin to feel the hurt and the lies, and you know what happens? Imagine a lie is like one strand or one brick in a wall, a stronghold. If you, if you heard that term, stronghold, it's like Christianese, you know what it is? It's when all the fibers of lies start being woven together into this like tapestry that's impenetrable. It's when that one brick isn't just one brick anymore. It's lie after lie after lie until a stronghold, literally a fortress of lies. Have you ever been talking to somebody and it's so clear, but they just can't receive the truth that you just said? It bounces off of them. Have you guys ever been there? It's probably because you're running into a stronghold. It's a fortress of lies that protects them from the truth. It's like, hey man, your foot's on fire. You know, I, I don't appreciate the way you're talking about my feet. No, man, like, it's on fire. Like, do something about your foot, man. It's like going to burn up your leg. You know, Jesus was all about love. I don't appreciate that you're condemning me and judging me for, dude, your foot's on fire. Do something about it. That's a stronghold. You've had those interactions. It's so woven together. There's been belief of so many lies that the truth becomes impenetrable. And it's to protect from this, this wound that we're experiencing. And then what comes in from that is sin, often as an attempt to comfort the unhealed wound. So why, why do you start drinking and why does that get a hold of you? Why do you start the drugs or why, why does uh, having sex or, or hooking up or whatever it is start to feel so appealing? Well, it feels appealing because you're self-medicating a wound. There's a hurt inside of you, and you're using those things to dull the pain. And you may not even know what the wound is. You just know that the pain is getting dulled. 
And sometimes it's not, those are like the standard ones, right? Drugs, alcohol, sex. But sometimes it's other stuff like anger. Like, hey, I felt really weak. But man, when I get really angry, I feel strong. So the wound is someone made me feel really weak. But now I'm going to fly off the, handle, off the handle and get really angry at people so that I puff up and feel really strong. I'm still self-medicating. Do you see it? I'm trying to ease a pain that's in my life. I may not know what the pain is, but I know how it feels to self-medicate. So that sin in your life that you can't seem to conquer, this is where some of this is coming from. And you know what happens next? The enemy swoops in and just agrees with all of it. If you're battling anger, you know what the enemy does? He sends on assignment a spirit of anger to crank up that temptation from a level two to a level eight. Have you guys ever felt that? Like, this should not be this tempting. So a spirit of anger comes at you, claws into your life, digs into your life, and cranks up the temptation. So next time you're tempted to get angry, you fly off the handle, off the handle over and over and over again. The, the next time you're tempted with pornography, the next time you're tempted with alcohol, drugs, it doesn't matter what it is. The enemy is like cranking up the temptation. He sent a spirit on assignment to do that intentionally. A spirit of addiction, a spirit of lust, a spirit of anger, a spirit of depression, whatever it is. He doesn't care. He sends a spirit on assignment to keep this on, on lockdown. And of course, he's agreeing with the lies. Oh, yeah, that's true about you. You are a failure. You really won't ever conquer this. Have you ever heard that one? Yeah. You, you really won't ever be break. You won't ever break free from this. You won't ever, like, this is just what it is. You're just going to live this way the rest of your life. This is just what Christianity is. You're just going to live miserable the rest of your life, and then you're going to die. And then one day in heaven, it's going to be better. What this is is a wall of resistance. What this is is it doesn't matter. And the Holy Spirit could be invading the rest of your life and transforming the rest of your life. But this one room in your house is locked. And this is why. Jesus paid too high a price for us to stay in this. We have victory over this. He went to the cross to break this. So how does it start? Well, first, we got to face the problem. We got to admit, yes, I have an addiction. If we can't do that, that's step one. Step one, facing the problem actually lifts that wall of resistance and then the enemy is exposed. We invite people back for prayer and we pray for them and we pray for these spirits to leave in Jesus' name and they go in Jesus' name because of the authority of Jesus. So we got to get these things out of there. It's called deliverance prayer. But even after you evict the enemy, if you're still self-medicating and you still believe the lies, it's like a nest for the enemy. The enemy will go, but guess what he's going to do? He's going to come right back. Why? Because he's got a home built for him. So we got to address the sin. we got to confess to people our sin. we got to have accountability and discipline and boundaries and structures in our life. So we're not constantly giving in to the sin. But if we only deal with the enemy and the sin and we're still believing the lies and we never deal with the wound, guess what's going to happen? The sin's going to come back and the enemy's going to come back. That's why you're not experiencing victory. So let's deal with the lies. And we need community for that. We need the Bible for that. We need to be in the word and hearing the truth about us and hearing the truth about God and having people speak to us and tear down those strongholds with the truth. But even when the lies are gone, guess what's still there? And if we don't deal with the wound, the lies will come back, the sin will come back, the enemy will come back. 
we got to deal with the deeper level. What's the wound? And a lot of times what it means is giving and receiving forgiveness. Somebody hurts you, you need to forgive them. You held on to bitterness and resentment for how many years? Guess what? You need forgiveness. You need to ask God, God, forgive me for holding on to this resentment and bitterness and anger for so long. And then we need to forgive those who've hurt us. Jesus paid for all of this. He's made it all possible. Isaiah 53. I'm going to close on this. Worship team, you can come back up. He was pierced for our transgressions. He dealt with our sin, right? He was crushed for our iniquities. He dealt with the lies. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. The peace we experience once the enemy is evicted from our life. He paid for that. And by his wounds, we are healed. That deep inner healing that we need, he paid for that too. He took the beating. He took the stripes. He took the nails so that we could experience a deep healing at the deepest level of us. So that we could have victory over sin in our life. A couple questions as we close. Do you believe that you are a new creation in Christ? That you are dead to sin and no longer enslaved to sin? Do you believe the truth of that this morning? Is there an area of your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, or your body that needs renovation, that needs to put on the new self? Is there a room in your life that you know that door has been locked and the Holy Spirit has not been allowed in to renovate? You said yes to God in all of this, but over here in this one room you said, no, not that room. What inner wound are you medicating with sin? What lies are you believing, and where is the enemy attacking? If you have any questions, you can text them to that number, and we'll answer them at the end. Pray with me. Jesus, you paid a high price to give us victory over sin, to give us a new creation, or a new, a new self that we can put on every morning. And you look at us and you say, that is my son. That is my daughter. I'm so proud of them. They are washed clean. They are made holy and righteous. There, there is one of my holy ones. Jesus, we want to live that out in our lives. Lord, every room of our house, we unlock to you now. Every corner of our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, every part of our body, God, we want to be used as an instrument of righteousness, not an instrument of wickedness. And we give ourselves to you this morning. You've given us victory over sin, God, but we want to live it out. We want to experience it. Holy Spirit, would you show us where we're wounded? where we've held on for a wound far too long. Show us where we're self-medicating, God, with all the wrong things. And we need your healing in the deepest places of us. So come, Holy Spirit, even now, bring healing to us in Jesus' name.